0: Hi, thank you for listening to the Spotlight Report, our weekly podcast in which we sit down and speak with current academics about their life and research in lab. If you like the Spotlight Report, you can subscribe on iTunes, like our Facebook page, or find it on any common podcast app. You can also directly find the podcast on our website, which is loft.optics.arizona.edu backslash podcast. Please comment, any questions or ideas for people you would like us to interview in the future. Additionally, if you have more feedback, feel free to email us at thespotlightreport at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. for listening to the Spotlight Report. This week we sit down with Hannah Grant, who is a graduate student uh, studying optics. Her specialty is uh, silicon um, photonic chips, and it is definitely a niche specialty, so I'm going to let her talk about it some more. So before we get started, Hannah, what, uh, what got you into optics? Um, well...
1: Went to high school in Chandler, Arizona, and with that, my this teacher Jim Clark who was really awesome. Uh, arranged a tour of all the engineering schools at U of A, so he took us down to Tucson for a day. Um, he was also setting up an engineering like class, similar to like an AP engineering style class for high school students. And uh, I was also really into photography in high school. That was my weird art thing I did. I really enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, well we got to more of the office building, separate tour of the office building, and uh, I always knew I wanted to do like engineering. I knew I was smart enough to do engineering and I that's what I should be doing. Um, but I, I walked out at the tour and I said, wait a second, you mean I can play for, with cameras for a living and make money? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, Physics teacher turned around. He said, "Yeah, a lot of money." (laughs) I was set. I I I I knew it was a right destiny for me. Um, Specifically, how I got into my current research topic. I started doing research in high school, college, under Professor Bob Norwood at the University of Arizona, Um, and I worked in photonics there, where I started just I was some grad students. And uh, I kind of started to make a better understanding of the topic. Um, you learn things in class, and I see things in lab. And I just knew going and getting my higher education, like more so in my PhD, was worthwhile in this topic. Um, I then did a summer research internship at UC San Diego, where I worked under one of my current advisors. And I really liked the topic for myself. So. And
2: we didn't have to do any clean room work, which for me sounded amazing because spending whole hours day in clean room is not fun. So, yeah,
0: yeah. Kind of what- yeah. For our for people listening who haven't uh, been in a clean room, it might seem kind of exciting at first, but when you have to go through the process of uh, gearing up and and being stuck in this suit all day, uh, it's, it's just not that much fun.
1: Uh, I remember I would try and see homework and just work on homework, sometimes I'd just be there watching something, if you didn't watch it, someone would come yell at you, they <laughs> so would be in a fucking suit, watching or, some acid
2: oil or just, not acid boil, watching
1: something so someone, someone would yell at you, Yeah. and, uh, you know, it can be very fun. And to be honest, I also wasn't interested in the chemistry side of things as much. I thought it's good to know the process of how genetics are made and understand the properties, but I wanted to do objects. Right. Sometimes you don't really do as much objects. You do, don't do as much, oh, we have to etch this thing and you have to make the chemical solution this way. Um, it's got
0: that component. Right, right. So so your specialty now is uh, silicon photonics, and um, could you just explain that kind of, like more so in layman's terms? For, uh, yeah. Okay. I realized, especially if I listened to some
1: of the podcasts, I was like, oh, these are all um, completely different types of optics, so I that I work with. Um, so silicon photonics, I'm going to give, start out by defining photonics, because good to understand and then find silicon, photonics. So photonics is actually, it's when your devices or your structures that you're using are so small that you have to start considering the photon aspects of light. So typically, light is defined as being a wave and a particle. But when you're using um, larger optics, you can operate in this like large scale optics or anything that's you know, larger than the order of the, the wavelength, um, you can uh, just treat it as classical. So treat it as a wave. That's right. very that's a very different field. Uh, so when you start to have photonics, your, your, your devices are so small they're on the nanometer regime. So my structures are a couple hundred nanometers in length. Of Earth. Width. and it's small enough where you have to kind of consider both the photon and or the particle and the wave property of the light. Um, I keep mentioning this word photon, so photon is what we describe this particle of light for anybody listening. Um, so then silicon photonics are photonic devices, small photonic devices that are made of silicon. And this is really becoming a popular uh, device that we use for uh, structures for trying a very popular field. One thing is that um, how we make them, we use CMOS fabrication. So CMOS being you know how we make transistors in silicon. Um, we can use the same techniques to then make plastic devices, which is really nice because those are very expensive facilities set up. Right, right. And so, um, by being able to use the same uh, kind of machines,
2: you can then make an option Yeah, so, I mean, I, I was going to
0: say, I think that some of these companies like Apple or Intel and stuff spend like, or Samsung spend billions on these, on these factories. So it's not, it's definitely not a trivial matter to just like throw a new one up or whatever. Oh, uh, not.
1: Funnily enough, I think the US is building their own like foundry. So we call them foundries, these facilities. Um so it's called A Platonics. I'm sure you, a, you might have heard of this in cluster a lot of are doing this, but it's uh, a national wide foundry for producing Sliponics for platonic devices, which will be interesting to see how it plays out. There's
0: also, you know, there's a bunch of them,
1: yeah, Intel, IBM, have all these facilities.
0: Hmm. Um, hmm. That's how you define people. Yeah. So so just to recap, because this, I mean, like like we already talked about before we started talking, this is definitely not my field either. I, I read your paper and uh, then I reread it and I was positive I didn't understand it. So, <laughs> So just to start off with a... For, for people listening, if they're not in optics or if they're not in the sciences, silicon chip, it's, it's what we make computer chips out of, it's what we make all the microchips, all, all that stuff is what it, uh, is made out of silicon. And when you're saying a silicon or photonics on a silicon chip, we're just saying that you use uh, typically a wavelength of light and you can pass it around on the microchip the same way, you, kind of the same way you pass electricity around. And you can kind of do operations that you would do traditionally, but with optics. And that that buys you more bandwidth, it buys you kind of faster operations and chunk like that.
1: Yeah, it, Yeah, that's correct. Right. And that's how we powdered
2: the right.
1: devices on silicon. move it around, or right. switch it. Make it go one way versus the other. Um, and it does actually buy you buy size, buys you speed, um, buys you so much speed, actually. Uh, and then another thing is buys you energy. Uh, so a big issue and a big application for this is uh, inner data center traffic. And what I mean by inner data center traffic is anytime you use Uh, we, like we every use, day,
2: uh, you mean? <laughs> yeah, right. every
1: day. Like, we, you know, the numbers of how much uh, it's, how much on centered sound is an insane amount each year. Uh, and I think, it, yeah, you can actually look up reports on this. Cisco publishes reports on it every now and then. Mm-hmm. But essentially, because we use so much like Netflix and Cloud... Google Drive uh, or Amazon Cloud or something like that you're actually using data centers traffic inside inside some data centers. And so a lot of these companies, they realize that they're getting to a point where these data centers are really hard and expensive to maintain. they're they're the size of maybe two football fields and uh, the effective ways of pooling them right now are actually just passing water through it, so they usually build them around streams and they build the stream into it somehow. Huh. They use bling or, um, but uh, yeah, so the cooling, the heat that comes from all the electronics and also the energy required for all the electronics, it's become a big push for silicon electronics.
2: Right, right.
0: So low, yeah. low, lower energy, lower heat, released and...
1: And lower size, too. I mean, because they use optics in data centers now.
0: Right.
2: But
1: they're all whole cool components, so they're big. Things that you would
2: buy from suppliers right. versus have this kind of smaller and on a chip that's human millimeters. Right, right.
0: Fortunately, no one can see uh, that, that poor sense of scale that you're showing, but uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's like, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's tiny, it's tiny. So. Um, yeah, and I think, I think a way that people can relate to it who aren't in optics is when everyone gets really excited for, like, Google Fiber to get laid down. And they know that, like, oh, Fiber, like, I'm going to have 100 or 200 gigabit gigabit per second download speeds or whatever, whereas with my old Internet, it was more expensive and it's slower. And you're kind of getting the same kind of thing on a microchip. It's going to be smaller, faster, cheaper, etc. So, Pretty um, much. Okay, perfect. Uh so the next thing then is we know what silicon photonics are, kind of, you do. I kind of do now. And so what are the uses then? Like where, you said a data center, but what? what's a use that like the average person might be able to think of? Oh, yeah. I mean, I will probably still
1: stick with data centers. Like okay. companies like Facebook come to these conferences uh, last year. Facebook, because they don't want to develop these devices, but they sit there and say, We need these devices to happen. Right. Or else we're going to, you know. So um, there's that. Another thing is um, self driving cars. Uh-huh. So I don't really work in this, but there has been some photonic LIDAR. So LIDAR being um, kind of like a sensor we would put on the side of the car.
2: To detect something's
1: there. Mm. Especially because uh, we operate, you know, we're operating in infrared, so while we can't see this, humans, uh, there are still very common uh, So, infrared can be very commonly used to send somewhere and then detect
2: them. Right,
1: right. So they have, or they have um, a sensor for being how close it is that's infrared. Um, and then I've seen some applications as well in biosensing. Uh, I actually went to a talk this morning where they use um, they use a silicon tonic. Well, it was silicon tonics mixed with um, patterned in a certain way to pattern in a certain way, such that they could create a bouncing effect, and that could be used to. Uh, it was called label-free biosensing.
0: Whoa, that'd be pretty nuts.
1: Yeah, I
0: don't know what that is, so I decided
1: that sounds interesting.
0: Ooh. That was cool. Huh. I know, I know that for for my stuff when I did biomedical stuff, uh, you usually, if you want to see something, you have to tag it with like a fluorescent tag or, or a radioactive isotope or something. So a big push was like, how do we measure these things, which obviously have different structures, but without having to inject dye or, you know, whatever, so.
1: Yeah. So this
2: was
1: like a, a grading
2: structure that would capture. Right. Um, so
1: that was interesting. I mean, it had other applications for objects as
2: well. Um, but I
1: wrote that down. But yeah, huh. it's in the communications, um, and that's most of where the money comes
2: from as well. Right. It's, uh, it's unfortunately how research works. Yeah, no, that's yeah. <laughs>
0: That's definitely that's definitely a reality that I don't know if people outside of uh, academics, I feel like they aren't super aware, but I feel like it's a common thing that you'll hear, like, oh man, all this money is getting wasted studying, you know, whatever. And uh, the reality is that as grad students, it's you have to find grants, and you don't get paid very much, and you certainly don't have time usually for jobs outside of school. So.
1: No. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing, too, is the type of studies that the public is introduced to. They're not typically introduced to, um, maybe they're introduced to some niche thing that's happening with 3D printing that
2: used
1: to be research. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or soft driving cars. Like, there's tech research, but I feel like most of the studies that we as general public assume are actually like
2: health. Or yeah, buying. yeah.
1: Been. And so um, I can understand too, like, oh, big pharma or something like that. Right, right. Uh, how money goes into it. But they don't realize that, yeah, as grad students, we have to fill out a, we have to figure out where there's a demand for this. And that's actually one of the reasons why my research has kind of become what it is. Because I said, no one's doing what I'm doing right now. Right. Um, so that's good. That's ask, good for you. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> I also asked, "Is this worthwhile? Like, who would care?" Um, so yeah, you know, kind of say, "Huh." Everyone thought about that way. Like, which, yeah, it, 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 it's interesting to come up with this and kind of be like, you know, there's a need. Right.
2: You know? Right.
1: But yeah, most most of it's. In, Communication, so communication
2: being
0: like that centers or setting up communication and you nodes. Know, right. In uh, so, in your paper, um, it sounds like or uh, uh, photonics on a silicon chip, it's somewhat established, and you're saying that the 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 issue though is that from a research perspective it's certainly established but if i want to use it in a commercial application there's a big bridge to gap between saying like oh i'm going to i i could make one proof of concept thing in a lab versus like i need a factory line and i need everything to be the same and i need it to be checked super quick and i think as i understand it that's where your research comes in right yeah, kind of um, that, that might not be the best the best analogy but
1: No, but it's true. Um, Or even just, um, Silicotonics is at a day and age where you can't just say, I made this device, look, it has these pretty properties. Um, You need to bridge the gap. Yes, there's a lot of gaps to bridge. So, and it's not to say that there aren't devices you can't buy off the shelves with devices. This was recently in 2015, they started having uh silicon five devices being yeah, packaged and made. certain companies do that. Um so with Sarah home company I know you are like uh but it, it also depends on the need. So some some silicon pieces devices are much easier to kind of say, Oh, here's what needs to get done to make it more of a product. And I'm not sitting here being like here's the cost estimate. But I'm also looking at—I look at personally how we characterize these devices instead of being the one lonely grad student in the lab saying, "Okay, let's do this. Let's line this," then exhaustively measure the device because something's probably wrong with it, so you have to do that. Right. Um, what are the like key concepts and uh, ways you could maybe take the device and then do as little measurements as possible? So then. Myself. Right. Or just it's okay it's good enough. Well, another thing, too, is given some, uh, some model set up of the device, could you then use that to determine other characteristics of the device? So, uh, knowing, oh, I use this voltage for this setting of the device. Could I then determine for another type of device the same the the operation? Hold mm-hmm. it this setting um, just based on the model instead of having to sit there and and measure it and um, and so while some of the this are so some devices that's very because there's only one thing to check um, I specifically work in switches so switch technology being you have one input you have multiple inputs you want to take one input you want to get to another output right multiple inputs and, um, and we already or We do use optical switches, it's right? pretty I common mean, actually because Google uses them in their data centers, but um, a lot of times we use you use electrical conversions. We convert to electrical switch and then convert it to optical. Right. Um, that's costly, so it's a big demand for optical switches. Um, but there's a lot of issues that come with optical switches. So there's trade off between speeds and other. Characters, other uh, aspects, but when you have multiple inputs, multiple outputs, characterizing the device becomes way more petting You have uh, different ways like interact with each other. So there's that, and then when you have something with switch, and you can say go this way, go no, go that way, and like that. Um, you don't want to sit there for multiple. Tools. The example of the device I work with has 16
2: configurations.
1: Okay. Right. So for input and for output. Um, so if you had a, if you have a 64 by
2: 64 yeah
1: that's a lot of configurations. Right it's, um,
0: it starts getting up there. Um, so that
1: yeah it's commercial but it's still very researchy um, but yeah, most of the stuff they do nowadays it's, it's not gonna be just a silicon chip. So we have a silicon chip integrated with electronics to control the chip. And integrated with maybe some optics mm-hmm. on and off. So to having to typically we align them with fibers. So as opposed to having to do that, we we just combine them all out. And that's a big research issue as well that's happening. Um,
0: in fact, they're doing a huge collaboration at University of Arizona with an Irish group called Tyndall. And so they do a lot of packaging, just optics packaging there. Uh, We're, do you remember Chris Summit? Yes. We're, I'm going to talk to him probably later this week, I think, but he just presented his uh, dissertation defense for his PhD. And his work was on uh, integrating optical components on a silicon photonics chip.
1: attack
2: like getting
1: like, five, getting like off and on yeah yeah so yeah no it's a huge research field um, it's very difficult to do um, in fact I've seen I've looked at some process for uh, silicon or just photonics in general and how to get these devices made the two biggest so when we say integrating optics that's called packaging right um, biggest cost components are packaging and then testing mm-hmm. so I actually looked at that paper and I said, oh well, there's a lot of money going to packaging, but testing of these devices is still undetermined. Before mm-hmm. I my idea from there, which was given this device I had been measuring for a while and doing some work on, I come up with ways of doing a better their post-processing technique
0: so, yeah, so that's your, that was the emphasis of this research paper. Um, and you were testing a silicon photonics chip using a um, parametric model. And it, the chip itself, you said it, had, it was four inputs, four outputs, and it uses a, a Max-Zender interferometers on the chip as the optical components. Right. And... Yep. Um, and... Uh, for for our listeners, max interferometers, they uh, take light and you get interference. Uh, so that's... I don't, know how, I don't know how much detail to go into it here, but you, do, you, you get light interference and you're basically using these things to be able to pass light which way you want it, right? Yes. Okay. Um, and then... So can you talk about how, uh, how you how you how did you make the model? What what is a parametric model? I guess. Um. So
1: there's two components. Uh, one is uh, I'm sure they do this. They do this in London as well, but um, in most products we just use shapes to describe everything. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I kid you not. Um, it's essentially. I actually didn't even come up with this model because it's, it's
0: somewhat known from offenders as well as ring modulators. This is not new work. In fact, listeners, if they
1: want to look up the user ring model, look, uh, look up Yareve. Not a lot of kind of the person that
0: kind of did a lot of the research. Wait, who, that, but who was that again? The last name is Yareev. Yareve. Narive. Yeah, I
2: can, I can,
1: I'm uh, um, not, um, 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 <laughs> don't, don't, yeah, I'm really bad at his name, I will but
0: he said photonics. Okay, okay, oh. and, and, and we'll post uh, some of his papers on, on the podcast when we put it up. I'll send
1: papers on transformation modeling, okay. um, and some of the other grad students have papers that I started reading when I first joined in grad school, members. so yeah, have a mock center which pretty much interferes in the light path on chip. Uh, we build these out of waveguides. I won't go into much detail about waveguides, but that's how we're guiding the light on the chip. Yep. And um, we you know, have these essentially take they use the second term here, but we take the plane wave approximation of the device and we create a matrix or right. a set of
2: matrices
1: define, oh, okay, we have this component here, matrix for that, this component here, matrix for that, and so then you take to can the so a whole device by using matrices. Right. It's really useful because then you can have um, unknown values in the matrices, so I call these parameters, they're my parameters, and I fit, um, and then I can take measurements from the device and then find my unknowns, essentially. Um, if you have a system... So one of the reasons why I'm not calling it a transform matrix current like current fit yeah, is because one so their device has an off and on state essentially. So I can either have the device as is no voltage or electricity being applied or to have an on-state. And I set up an on-state such that I then put in a scaling factor where things are getting really technical, but essentially I, I called it a heuristic model because I created up this new term to attempt to account for um, any effects that I should go into next because there's lots of things. Uh, so for the listeners, uh, how we control these devices, we're using thermo- optic heating. Thermal optic heating means I'm literally applying heat, and then because of that, I can then shift the light path. I can change how the light wants to
2: are you, are you
0: like mechanically changing the the waveguide with the heat? Um mm, mm, uh, so mechanically you
1: mean expanding? Yeah yeah. Uh yeah, I guess that's how you would describe it. I'm this physically vis- vis- applying heat such that the waveguide expands. I mean it's not going to expand by this large visual amount. Um, right. guide expands and
2: change the index of a fraction.
1: Okay. Uh, that's what I'm doing mostly in this model. However, uh, there's not really much known about what if you had multiple thermal components on on a chip. So silicon, we really like it because it does really well when it's heated. So it has a really good, you don't have to use as much heat to um, get a, an option going to change in the optics. but when you have four of them on at once uh, not much has been known and so that's why i ended up calling it heuristic models because uh without having to go exhaustively into the detail of the device um, i added a scaling factor to account for any thermal cost on it. um one reason why i wasn't able to do exhaustive thermal modeling of the device or anything really because it gave it's a device from IBM, and to some degree, I had to treat some things like a black box. Um, right. Certain layout structures, I had to determine things on my own because uh, of IP. Uh, so. Right.
2: Which right.
1: is good. Like, I I kind of said, okay, if you only really know so much about a here's how you can analyze it. So, uh, and then again, if someone was going to use this device to them, it's just a black box anyway. so by Right so,
0: um, so, yeah, that's. so this so you made this parametric model it runs uh, on the computer right and you you take a chip, you say that there are certain parts of it inside that you don't know the exact details of, but you know theoretically how it should work and theoretically what the output is and yes. then and then you hook it up, you run it through some tests, and based on the results of those tests, you can figure out what the actual inside components are doing, or you can fit the parameters.
1: Yeah, essentially. Um, another reason why this is so useful is because, well, yes. Uh, and people actually do this a lot more than often even if they do know what's inside the device even if they have the exact layout of the device because uh, they'll need to determine fabrication errors. Mm-hmm something to miss most of the time um, it's very hard to resolve fabrication to the degree that we want to resolve it in self products um, and so we have a high tolerance we have a very like, tight tolerance that we applied on our on our fabrication and so this is actually a pretty common technique for I think something's wrong let's try to see if, like,
2: right, right.
1: scrammers are and these grammars are not unknown most of them are actually based off of Science. So, you're actually, these parameters um, are based on of physics, and except for the one that I added in. But I, it's all based on physics so that you know realistically where they are and aren't. So, I take these measurements, I have off state and I have an on state measurement, and I can then say, okay, put it through my model and give me out parameters. And I know, so, uh, I use a. This is done by doing a, a fitting parametric or parametric fit. And by my fit is I'm telling my uh, I'm telling my like algorithm to find the local minimum. Mm-hmm. So because you know the physics, you could say I'm pretty sure you should be looking in this area. Like uh, I'm pretty sure it will not get larger than this value. Right. So, that's very key and useful to know. Another question becomes like, how many parameters should you be using? And since you're doing a, uh, since it's based off of a linear, linear algebra, you should not be, you want to make sure that uh, your model is not underdefined. So you have sufficient data to support the amount of parameters that you So you cannot have more. Right, right. So, um, that is one thing I think you wrote in this thing, it says, um, yeah, um, given this model of the paradigm that you've mentioned, why it seems like, it, it, I mentioned this is very important. Right. Um, another times do you even have to measure all input ports or the ports. And so if you had less parameters, you could them, you then know about that as well? Um, that's still a be to continued topic of discussion, well, if that's needed or not, or if that's worthwhile. Uh, the one thing that's really important is I took two states of a device that can have uh, 16 different configurations, and I was able to make a model. And then from there, I was able to change the model and then have the measurements line up very well, and then take measurements for that same state model and then show that they actually line up fairly well. And that's key for like someone in industry or someone in the research stock field to do is say, hey, I can take this model and I don't have to do it, don't have to do 16 different measurements.
2: I can just do two. Yeah.
1: Um, Very like that's a very nice procedure or thing to do.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I don't, it's, I think it's hard to describe how impressive that is to take something, uh, um, oh, you're good to, to take something like as complicated as four, uh, photonic mott interferometers, which are switching to four outputs. You have diffractive effects, you have, you know, interference, all sorts of Stuff can be going on, and you manage to distill it down to 10 or 16, depending if it's active or passive, parameters, which is like stunningly few parameters. And then, even beyond that, you only have to take two measurements. I mean, that's so that's super impressive, and that saves time to, to, to adequately describe a pretty complex system. So, um, so yeah, so like in terms of results, how did the fit or um. How did, how did how does the model work?
1: Um. So, yeah, it, it had a pretty good fit um, in that it was almost always able to really, I, I don't want to get too technical on this. But the fit was able to be very predictive. So, if it wasn't predictive, it was conservative where it should be conservative. Because, um, so, which is, we want to have one light path. One way, another light path go another way. But what's happening is, and this is really common with separate switches, is that they all together. Right. They, right like, we call that crosstalk when they uh, that's leakage. And so, I was able to effectively always establish where the signal was with the model, and then with something like crosstalk, where if you're a system person or you're Don't really care what the other output ports are. You care about how much crosstalk there is. Right. And so I think it was pretty. It was able to um, either always estimate the crosstalk, or it was conservative. And so around average, the difference for crosstalk was nothing. Right. The for the like signal, was like nothing. It was less than the dB, so that was um, very nice. So uh, knowing that your systems have Knowing that you can take this model and say this is going to give you a fairly good estimate of where you expect your crosswalk. Because in this case, we consider crosswalk to be noise. But from a CS perspective, it's not that having it there is bad. It's knowing where the clearance is. Right.
2: Know
1: where the clearance is, they can then use air control, they can then fix
0: it. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, like anything, you're gonna no matter what you're gonna have some issues, but you want to know what those issues are, and you want to know how they're how they're working to to control So, well, cool. So that's super impressive. Um, and it works, and you're presenting. You're in New Orleans presenting, so that's exciting. Uh, so I guess I, I want to move a little bit off um, kind of the very technical aspect um and discussing your research and more so talk about like what what was your process in grad school like because you you obviously found some success this is your second paper uh so how how did the process go did you jump into grad school and it was no. um well
1: so you you knew me in undergrad so yeah i
0: Well, I think I think you and everyone, so you know, don't don't feel too bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think mean, it was for
1: everyone. It just it was such a it was very hard on me because I got very used to having yeah you know, I, I guess to say I had good friends at U of A I had a good support system um I like had a good system set up and then I was not able to recreate. Like, Certain type of system in grad
2: school.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's just something I think is something that's very common with most grad students is you're never going to have like the free time to make friends enough.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Fortunate, or I've I had a lot of people, you know, your first year everyone's like, let's hang out. And then they start to be like, oh, you don't like this. And so <laughs> you're not cool. And so I, I, I never played board games write
0: or anything, so I, I got really Right, um, right. Clicks, clicks unfortunately, <laughs> don't end after what? high school. What? I was just saying that the clicks, you know, don't don't end after high school. Yeah,
1: unfortunately. Um, so that was, that was a little hard, um, I think, for me. So it's in terms of research and in terms of advisors, but I have amazing advisors. Um, I make a lot of students they yeah, actually are very patient with me when I make my student mistakes. So <laughs> which is really nice. Um, yeah, I, I struggle a lot with that. I struggle a lot with classes, too. Um, so for anyone who's not familiar, there's semester system and there's quarter system. CSD is on the quarter system. And coming to the semester system, especially at graduate level, this is kind of like a general complaint about the course system. The gradual level like, ten weeks is not enough to go into detail about a topic. Mm. Um, in fact, a lot of times, professors just forget to have tests. You your midterm. the final. They're like, oh, I forgot to assign homework. Okay, let's sign all this homework. That's just a general complaint about that. Um, yeah, it, it's been very emotional for me. I have good days. I have good months. Have
2: bad days and bad
1: months. Right. Uh, I think, yeah, even I, I lost funding at one point, and I was, like, I don't know what to do. I felt very lost. Uh-huh. But, I mean, the silver lining of that was that I was able to like, go out redefine what I wanted my pieces to be. Uh-huh. Even now, uh, uh, even now I, it gave me a chance to kind of say, what do I really want to work in? Hey, let's try this. Maybe I should do this. and Let's be more transparent. In okay. I think now I actually have a better idea of where I'll be going school in the world after I graduate. Or when I first started grad school, right before like on the top when I was
2: on my top before last Monday. Right. How would I contribute to a company if I were to go? Um. Yeah. I mean,
1: I. You know, I. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of things. Um, so there's a lot, of, a lot of good and bad things. I found that just kind of spacing myself, unfortunately, was the best thing for me from grad school. Um, instead of being there all the time. We you know, there's no like in my school especially there's no place for people to college like, create or like, hang out and have
2: lunch. Right.
0: It's like So like, you, you mean like, you mean like physically, literally physically getting some space from school, because I mean, I think that there's a distinction between like physically and mentally separating yourself from school. I know at least an undergrad, you and I, and, and, and some other peers would be like, Oh man, it's too much homework or too many exams. So let's go, uh, get coffee or get a beer at, you know, a shop down the street. And you're not like really physically away from the U of A or from, from, from school, but you mentally get that space.
1: Yes. Um, which is funny because there's really no place, no shops by UCSC that you can go walk to off campus. Right. Which is also awesome, a thing. Um, yeah, I guess maybe not mentally. I think moving off campus was the best thing right. that happened. I was living in grad housing and I was very not happy in grad housing, even though it was really cheap. Mm-hmm. Was not. You just don't do anything. You just go home, oh, you go to a and I go to home.
2: All I did. Right, right.
1: Lab, yoga, bed. <laughs>
2: Rinse and uh, repeat.
1: <laughs> yeah. I moved off campus two years ago, and that helps a lot. Um, and I've been living in a neighborhood this time. I've, I've kind of started to come to awful. And so, you know, I care about, you know, like, things that are happening in my neighborhood. And I talk to my neighbors. I have uh, a yoga studio I go to. I, I care about what laws get
0: passed. Weirdly enough, I think about this all the time. <laughs> that's weird. You're, you're becoming like a full fledged adult citizen, right? <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, I my taxes
1: went to this thing. Yeah, great.
0: But I, <laughs> I mean, I think that's really an important distinction because I I found the same thing. We talked to, we've talked to a bunch of people, or, or Christine Bradley said the same thing. Where if I'm, because like. Like what you said, I mean to go to go all the way back. You go into grad school and it is uh, there's just going to be tough days. There's going to be days where there's more than days. There's going to be like months where you have some idea of what you want to test and what you want to do, and no matter what you do, it does not work out, and you constantly get uh, you you just don't move forward, and that's a really hard uh, place to be in. And then I think it's hard. You're working a bunch, and if you don't have peers around you that you can kind of share that struggle with, then it's just you. You know, it's like it's just you stuck in this headspace of being like, oh, man, nothing's working out. Um, and, you know, I, I I do this. I know Christine said she did this, but getting off campus, getting away from research and like having a real life is really important to balance that. So you have this, these real things where you're like, yeah, like there are other Aspects in life that are important and have value <laughs> besides my research problem that isn't going anywhere.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, and that that definitely helped me balance my day more. But mm-hmm. so there are days where I sit there and feel like I'm gonna go home at some point. I'm gonna do this.
2: Right, right. So,
1: like, any research time. Um, unfortunately, also I, I don't, I don't want to say this, this is for everyone, but I I've got a research serious like, relationship, Half years ago, and it's been nice just having someone, having a partner, having a buddy to kind of checking on you. Right. Just, like you can just talk about your day with. Um, and while um, you know a monogamous type of relationship may not for everyone, I, I think it's important to have at least one friend. You
2: know, right, right. Someone,
0: someone at least to to be aware of how you're doing. Yeah,
1: and you know, or you can kind of have
2: like
1: give and take with them, uh, or even you know, like we plan a lot of trips together and we try to like go camping and do other things
2: together. As
1: well. Right, right. But that's really
0: helped me to be like, I'm for sure gonna take this vacation. Yeah. So I have to get this work done and this work done. Yeah. Uh, I I have yeah. a weird I have a weird question for you. Does uh um, cause, So I, I know um, uh, I know you're seeing if another quite well I see him around Tucson all the time and I'm wondering does he check in on you ever to see if you've eaten for the day? No. Okay, this is just an issue with me apparently because my my girlfriend has to like check in and say like did you eat lunch? Because there will be times when I'll be like in the middle of an experiment and I'll go in and then the day will end at five and I'll get home and I'll be like a zombie and she'll be like, well, did you eat lunch? And I'll say no.
2: <laughs> so,
1: um, Well, lately no, because everything I do is on the computer now. I do a lot of modeling, so it's like, I don't, I actually pack. I actually, actually purposely pack like a very healthy light lunches, so uh-huh. I do, like, like carrot sticks, and then like, so I can have a snack like every two hours.
2: Uh-huh, uh-huh.
1: So, but um, yeah, I've done that before. Um, so it, it's really like uh, for me, I don't have that issue too much. But I did have an issue my first year at grad school with classes not eating. So my first finals week I had in grad school, I lost like five or ten, like some ridiculous amount of weight just for not eating, and not eating. Right. And I was very stressed out because they're all take so it was like, my idea was, if I didn't stop working, if I stopped working on these problems, because they're just all really exhaustive, take-home problems, then I will fail. Right. I have to keep working on them. And then if I just stay awake, um, and then I just forgot to eat. I've worked to eat, I guess, um, yeah, I've never really had an issue not eating. I have an issue with sleeping.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's just, I mean, it's... I, I, grad school isn't too different from anything else. You know, it's not too different from having a regular job, but at the same time, I think that you might have a higher propensity amongst graduate students, maybe because of the nature of it, or because of the stress of the work or, you know, the average age of grad students that you have a higher propensity for people to become very absorbed in their work. And for me that, that manifests and I'll just forget to eat sometimes. And that's, just happens. Um, for some people like, like you're saying, it can be hard to like remember to sleep or stuff. And I think for the average person listening, if they're not in grad school, that sounds like, what do you mean? How could you forget to eat? Or how could you forget to sleep? And it's just, it just happens. So having that, having that other person who's aware of how you are doing and, and being able to like talk to other people, be it friends or significant others or family is a really, really important thing to have so
1: it, yeah it had to adds a balance yeah yeah, yeah people sleep even I, I i just get sometimes i get really bad nights sleep and then having my sleep over there just kind of forces me i'll wake up at 5 a.m or 4 a.m right and I'll be like i have to sleep. yeah and i'll just get up and start without thinking about like gee <laughs> you could probably sleep another three hours and get a full eight hours
2: right, um, right. and
1: then lab um,
2: so yeah yeah no a- i
1: i um i don't think it's just particularly in optics though i think a lot of engineering or maybe stem grad students do this a lot
0: yeah 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 i mean i've talked to grad students in a variety of fields and i mean it's not just grad students you know you talk to to professionals in a variety of fields and it just Getting that absorbed into your work, that can kind of happen. So it's important to just kind of balance it and keep some perspective on, you know, keeping yourself healthy. <laughs> oh, for sure. But uh, um, well, cool. So, do you have before? I think we're we're just about out of time. So before we finish up, do you have any um, recommendations to younger graduate students or to people who are considering grad school? Besides going um, to a grad school that's uh, on the beach so that you can go surf every day, that, that seems like a pretty good bit of advice, but.
1: Yeah, I. Uh, I did get swooned by San Diego. Um,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> if it's, so, uh, I think, A, you should do grad school. If you're thinking about it, go for it. If, if you want to know more, just go for it. Um, I really don't think, I think in life, it really doesn't hurt you to do these things. Like, just go for it. Try for it. Apply. Just make sure you're on top of it and apply in a manner. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen, especially because I TA a lot, I TA a lot of um, senior grad student classes. So, specifically students who want to do optics in grad school, and they'll come to me and I just say, yeah, you should do it. I mean, it's not going to be easy, but you should do it. And it's always unfortunate whenever I get, like, the students who are graduating and they don't have anything lined up court right. really smart and you're just kind of like dude just keep doing things it's very hard to balance that but just make time to apply for things and get that those balls rolling right uh, i was told to go somewhere else for grad school i don't entirely regret it to some degree like i think i switch back and forth between you know if i'd stay at u of a or not and um I don't regret going to UCSD. I really like it. I think it's nice to get a different perspective. And like, unless your research at your undergrad school is very like specific, um, if you find another school that has similar research, sometimes it's nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, not even that, but like, you know, grad school is a lot of like, STEM is like a lot of networking. So yeah. I, I expose myself to people and other labs and different ways of doing things. You know you force yourself to do that um so Hmm. it's really nice to keep perspective on things or how things shouldn't be done sometimes you go to see other labs and you're like that's not how you should be doing this (laughs) that is very wrong
2: (laughs) right right
1: so go for it do it cool just keep the ball rolling that's my
0: advice all right well uh thanks for talking to us and i think that about wraps it up for for this week's episode As always, thank you for listening to this week's episode. We look forward to any comments or feedback you may have. To leave a comment, please visit our website at loft.optics.arizona.edu slash podcast, or our Facebook, which is SPL Report. Additionally, you can email us at thespotlightreport at gmail.com. Lastly, we would like to mention that we are always looking for new topics or people to interview.
2: So if you have a topic that you would like us to cover, please let us know. Thank you and have a good week.